Well, it's great to be here, and hopefully in a moment or two a PowerPoint will appear. The next one, are we about ready? Uh, I've been asked to, to speak about uh, telling uh, your story, and uh, so that's what we're, we're going to do. But I thought if I'm going to start talk about telling your story, I ought to start with one. So let me just tell you a little story. And this is a little story of someone who uh, lives on Blackbird Lease, uh, where I live, and something that's happened to them over the last few weeks. Her name's Sharon, this lady, and various members of her family have discovered a friendship uh, with Jesus Christ, her brother 15 years ago, and then her other brother about six, seven years ago, and then her dad, and then one of her, her, her son, and uh, some of her nephews, and stuff. They've all, different ones of them have discovered this friendship, and a couple of weeks ago, about two o'clock in the morning, Sharon had a dream, and in this dream, Jesus appeared to her. She's, she wasn't a Christian at this point, and uh, and he starts to remind her of different things that have happened that have happened in her life, the ups and the downs of life. Because you know, life in a fallen world hurts at times, doesn't it? And he was reminding her of these things. And every time she remembered these things in this dream, she remembered that she'd cried out to God. And in this dream, Jesus was telling her about the different things he'd done in response to those cries. But the thing that she couldn't get over was there was a distance between her and Jesus in this dream. And she woke up with this thought, how can I bridge the gap between me and Jesus? How can I do it? And... uh, she went away. She came along to the church meeting on, on a Sunday in the lease, and uh, she asked somebody, "You know, how can I bridge this gap?" So they explained to her what the gap was, of the stuff we've done wrong in our lives, caused a gap between us and Jesus, and she sorted it out, or rather, Jesus had already sorted it out for her. She just accepted what he'd done, and that gap was bridged. And uh, just an amazing story again of God's incredible love, and. Um, just, just a quick pause. I don't know if you're on the PowerPoint. I don't know if you can run it in pa- Can we run it in PowerPoint so it um, doesn't mess up all the text? Because it's going to mess up all the text otherwise. I don't know if we can do that, but let's just see if we can. But don't worry if not. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about uh, stories and telling our stories and what God has done for us. But please, when I do this, what I don't want you to feel or think is that we're just going to somehow be have your arms twisted to go out and tell people your story in some sort of false way. That's not where we're coming from. That's not what I'm going to be saying. This is about just living life, just as Steve was saying and, and uh, said that Danny, uh, and Danny was saying as well, that it's about living life normally and just out as, as we're living life normally, letting what God has done in our lives just flow out uh, as we talk to other people who are our friends. So we're going to think about three Fs in a little while, if we can hit the next one, which is a freedom, friendship and flavour. We'll catch up in a moment. Um, and, but before we think about freedom, but not what you expect, it's not freedom that you expect, friendship, it's, it, this ain't religion, and flavour, what's yours? Uh, I just want us to take a little step back and think, well, hang on a minute. Before we start to think about our stories and perhaps telling other people our stories and what God has done in our lives, let's just take a step back and think. Because, as I've said, what I'm not talking about is somehow trying to 
bash people to go and do some evangelism or anything like that. Uh, so chill out, guys. Let's just chill out. Uh, what we're talking about is just thinking back about what God has done in our lives and being amazed by his love. First and foremost, it's about being amazed. I read this the other day. I might hopefully come up on the next slide. To understand God and his plan for salvation, we must remember that everything flows from his love for his creation and his love for men and women made in his image. His primary goal is the reconciliation of people to himself. He does not talk about judgment now, but reserves it for the end of the age. Before being a God who judges, he is a God who saves. Before being a God who judges, he is a God who saved. saves. I, I love the verse at the, towards the end of the story. In, in, you'll find it in John chapter 4. There's a story of Jesus going through Samaria. And he meets this woman at the well. And there's a, there's a sort of a conversation between them. And he has this incredible word of knowledge for her. She goes off. Uh, the, village, uh, the village has come to, to meet this guy who this woman has said has told her everything she ever did. He just actually told her one particular thing about her life, but she's so astounded by this that she goes off, gets to the village, and they persuade Jesus to stay with them for two days. And right at the end, these villagers turn to this woman and say, you know what, we don't, we don't just believe that this guy is, you know, is the real deal because of what uh, you've told us. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know this man really is the saviour of the world. Yeah. And he is. He really is the saviour of the world. I think of Sharon's story, you know, in a dream Jesus appears to her and tells her things that she's prayed and she notices there's a gap. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible that he could do that. Or there's a lady called Leslie. Some of you may have heard her story, who's a very close friend uh, of Kate's and mine on Blackbird Lees. And her son was dying of cancer. And in the midst of this living hell, Jesus breaks in with hope. And it isn't some sort of candy floss, garbagey, you know, fluffy sort of hope. This hope's the real deal. This hope's got guts. And if you ever say to her, I'm sorry you've lost your son, she'll come right back at you, right in your face, and she'll say, I haven't lost him. I know exactly where he is. And we're going to spend forever together. It's real. But how Jesus did it is absolutely incredible. It's amazing. It's beyond, you know, just, just utterly amazing. Or there's a guy called Bill who's one of our friends. And his wife was diagnosed with, uh, with MS and uh, went into depression and started to overdose. And he would come home. He was a postman. He would come home from work and... Um, Every time he'd come home, if she, when he came home, if she wasn't at home, he would just get back in the car and drive around to the hospital because he knew where she'd be. She'd be in casualty, having her stomach pumped out again. And he would do this, and he went on and on and on. And then next door, some people moved in next door. These people happened to be Christians, and they had a little baby. And Janet fell in love with this little baby and would go around their house all the time, but couldn't get over the sense of peace that was in their home. And uh, she... Uh, she eventually sort of did an alpha course and discovered what this piece was really all about and asked God into her life. And her life was transformed. And uh, she stopped taking the overdoses. And Bill couldn't get over this. 
Uh, for him, God had saved his wife's life. And um, he would go to work, and sometimes in the, the banter at work between the postman, somebody would start taking the mick of, of a church or something like that. And he would stick up for the church and say, you know what, you, do, you don't know what you're talking about. You're talking a load of rubbish. I know what the real deal is like, and it's not like that, he would say. But he wasn't a Christian. And then five years ago, I remember him phoning me up because Janet uh, was, was in hospital with an angina attack. And they'd just discovered that it wasn't just angina, that she actually had uh, 95% of the capacity of the veins that were feeding the muscles to her heart had, had gone down. So it had been dropped by 95% because of her MS. And she needed a triple bypass the next morning, otherwise she was going to die. And he's on the phone to me in tears. And I'm on the phone by this stage in tears as well. And we're praying over the phone uh, for his wife. And the doctor said to him, well, look, We'll do the operation, but you need to know that the muscles in the heart will be damaged because of the, the lack of oxygen that's gone to them. So she goes in the next morning, she has the operation, and she's all right. And then two weeks later, they're round at the specialist, and the specialist says, well, we don't understand this, but there's no damage to the heart muscles. So Bill walks out, and he phones me up, and he says, he's done it again. <laughs> God's saved my wife's life a second time. And eventually I said to him, you know what, Bill, how many times is it going to take before you get the message that God loves you? He's actually not just wanting to have a friendship with Janet, but he's after you as well, mate. And he will say that I nagged him. I didn't. I just pointed out what was going on. And, uh, and he, he agreed to come over and watch some DVDs, True Life Stories, and he discovered it for himself that God loves him as well. And he started a friendship with him. And his life was transformed. In fact, Janet phoned me up after he'd prayed and asked God into his life, which was just on his own uh, at home. She, she phoned me up and said, Rich, Rich, I've got a new husband. And when someone says it on the phone to you, you, you double take. You think, what are you on about? <laughs> and, then you, and then I realized what she was on about. And she said, she said, we were driving along in the car today and someone cut him up. And normally... The car would go blue, you know, the inside of the car would go blue, and Bill would be out to get this person back. And instead, he just laughed. She said, and I'm sitting in the seat next to him. Uh, I've got a new husband. So there's Sharon's story, there's Leslie's story, there's Bill's stories, but there's also your story. And you've got a story as well. And I can guarantee you this, it's amazing. It's amazing because it's about a miracle that will last forever. That's why it's amazing. Jesus is amazing at turning people's lives around. And when you read the Gospels, you find he didn't really have a, a formula to do this. What he did was engage with people at the depths of their being. He was normal. He was kind. He was friendly. And he also had a compassion that went beyond anything that people had ever seen before. He had a compassion that could only have come from heaven. And he sees people more as sad than as bad. And sometimes we get it the wrong way around, and we see him more as bad than as sad. We need to see him as sad rather than bad, because that's how Jesus sees him. And I think when you start to read the Gospels, there's a big clue here in terms of when we might want to tell people or story. 
when perhaps best, the best time is for us to tell people our story. And you tell it to friends as you live life together. Because it's just a normal part of life. I read this the other day as well. Jesus bridges, sorry, Jesus built bridges over divides instead of deepening them. He got stuck into the world rather than trying to avoid it. Jesus knew the best way to lead people home to God is to find them where they live, relate with them as they are, and then walk by their side, stride by stride. That's what he did. And that's all he's asking us to do. To walk with them and walk with them home. It's all about sharing life. It's about listening and loving to people more than it is trying to tell them the answers or telling them how they ought to live or trying to bash them with the gospel or anything like that. It's about listening and loving and walking home. And as you do that, you get this drip, drip, drip from heaven. A little drop of Jesus' compassion for that person that you're walking with hits your heart. And what it does is it makes you want to walk with them that bit closer and share life that bit more. And as you do that, another little drop of compassion hits your heart. I can remember Kate and I once turning up at Leslie's house, and this is whilst Jake, her son, was still alive. Um, and she, she's in tears on the driveway. And we would, it was a Thursday evening, and we'd normally have a, a group round at her house. There were about 12 of us sort of exploring what a relationship with God is all about in this group. And I can remember we, we arrived, and she's in tears on the phone outside. And as we get out of the car, she said, oh, Rich and Kate, she said, we can't have a group tonight. She says, they found five more tumours in Jake. And they just phoned me and told me. We didn't have a group that night. We just sat in the kitchen. And I can remember still, it was that, it's that vivid, where everyone sat. And we drank cups of tea and we cried together. Because we're sharing life. And these people matter. We're not, we're not, they weren't some sort of project for us. These were our friends who we care deeply about. But as we're walking with these people, we're crystal clear as well. Because they're friends, the last place I want my friends to spend eternity is hell. I'll be blunt about it. If, I want, if I'm not bothered about that, then what sort of friend am I? I want them to spend eternity with God and with me because of my friends. So we're crystal clear as well as we walk with them that we're walking somewhere. We're walking them home. We're walking them to find out about this God who's got a place for them in his heart and a place for them in his heaven. We're walking them home. Let's read another story, shall we? This story is from the book of Acts. It's a poor story of what happened for him. And as we read this story, let's have a little think. This is Paul's story. But each one of us have got a story as well. I've got a story. And as I'm walking with my friends through life, I can tell them my story. My story of my friendship with the saviour of the world. This is Paul's story about his friendship with the saviour of the world. He's talking to King Agrippa at the time. It's from Acts 26, if you want to turn to it. I too was convinced 
that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to the other to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You find that Paul tells his story at different times. He tells it a couple of times and actually tells it in three of his letters. And it's the same story... But it's a different length each time, and it's perhaps got a little bit of a different emphasis. Uh, But what it isn't is some sort of mechanical thing that he just trots out. This is a real living story. This is personal. It's about him. What's more, it's about him and his friendship with Jesus. And there's a flavour to it, and we'll touch that a little bit later. And I think stories like that are hugely powerful, hugely helpful for people to understand what God is really like. They're interesting for starters, and people are nosy, aren't they? Let's face it, most of us are nosy, and we like to hear people's stories. Uh, It's possible for any of us to tell other people these sort of stories because we've got one of our own. It opens up the conversations about what God's really like. It emphasises the truth, and this is really important, that what we're talking about and what we've discovered is not some sort of religion. It's not some list of rules of the do's and don'ts. It's a real living relationship with a God who loves us. And it's yours. This is your story. It's personal. It's living. It's undeniable. It's powerful. I said at the start we'd just look briefly at three F's. So let's have a look at these three F's. The first one is be free. Be free. Please, please, please be free of any sense of obligation that you have to go and do evangelism. You don't. Just live life. And just let the life and the love that God's put in you flow naturally. Just let your friendships with other people flow naturally. And as you do, and as you're just being yourself, as you're just being warm and relaxed and normal and listening to your friends as well, you'll find there are times when you can talk to them about life 
and the spiritual side of life. Because it's just a normal part of our lives, isn't it? It's not some sort of little box over here. This is a normal part of our lives. And we can just talk about it. You'll find that the, as you're doing this, as you relax, you can just, it just kind of flows at times. That You can tell them a little bit about your story. Sometimes you can tell them the whole lot. Other times you just tell them a little bit. And it's over a series of conversations that more of your story comes out. There's no pressure. It's just normal and natural. But I think sometimes what we do is we get kind of like, it's a bit like, you know, Wurzel Gummidge. Anyone can remember Wurzel Gummidge? This is showing my age now. He used to be on on a Sunday afternoon on the telly, didn't he? John Pertwee, yeah? yeah? And he had these different heads, didn't he? So depending on what he did, he would take off his the one turnip head and put on because he was a, he was a scarecrow before you think you know, this is a bit weird right he was a scarecrow right so he would take off one turnip head and he would put another turnip head on to do a different job right we do that with evangelism we have an evangelism head and well some of us do anyway uh, some of us try and keep, leave it in a box so we don't do any of it but if, if we do get it out of a box we, we take off our normal head and we put this evangelism head on and we go all religious and intense then we wonder why people get put off. So we take it off and we put it in the box and think, well, I'm not taking that out again. That didn't work. That's not what it's about. It's just about being normal and just letting normal life flow and just chatting to people normally about part of our lives, an integral part of our lives, that is having Jesus Christ as our saviour and as our friend and having a hope that surpasses anything else that's going. It's just normal. It's just normal. So please be free. You can be normal. Just share life together. Second F. You see, because I'm now working at a Bible college, I thought, well, I, you know, all these preachers, they have three points, don't they? And they all begin with the same letter. So I worked really, I hope you're impressed, I worked really hard on getting three Fs. For, for about two days, only had two. And I thought, well, you know, this is, this is, this is proper, is it? It's not a proper, not a proper preaching. I need three. So it took me ages and fortunately, I felt God speak to me, so it got me three Fs. But you know, for ages, I was quite, quite stressed by it, actually. I only had two Fs. Um, so my second F is about friendship. Talk friendship. And what I mean by this is talk about a friendship with Jesus Christ, because that's what it is. You're not talking. When you're telling your story, you're not really talking about your life and your you know, incredible list of achievements that you've got. Not, you're not really talking so much about the past, although that comes in a little bit. You're talking about Jesus Christ and the difference he's made for you because he's alive and you know him as your saviour and as your friend. And it just flows. You just talk about him. And when you're talking this way, this is so important, you're talking relationship and not religion. Most people, understandably, do not find religion a particularly attractive prospect. Because most people see it as, as a big, heavy burden you have to carry around of all the do's and don'ts you're supposed to do and the th- you know, things you're meant to do and things you're not allowed to do. And if you keep all these things that you are meant to do and don't do any of the things you're not allowed to do, then maybe you can, you can, you can you know, get enough brownie points with God that you make it. But all the time you're carrying this weight around and, and, they, and they know that actually what it does is it creates a fear and uncertainty. Will I ever make it? And this little nagging doubt in the back of your mind, no, I probably won't. 
because I'm not good enough and I know deep down I'm not good enough. So they see it like that and they think, well, you know, why would I want that? And then what's more, they look around at people who they think are religious and think, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. So why would I want to be like that? So religion is not a particularly attractive prospect for most people. But the possibility of a friendship with God for a lot of people is enormously attractive. A lot of people now do believe there's a spiritual side to life. And the possibility of actually knowing God and having a relationship with him and him interacting with you in your life and changing aspects of your life and bringing you a sense of hope and peace is incredibly attractive. And that's what we've got, guys. We've got relationship. We ain't got religion. I used to have a... I used to, uh, a long time ago, I, I worked uh, down at Harwell, the Atomic Energy Authority's lab. And for a couple of years, I was working as part of a team. I was a commercial manager down there. And, and I had a, somebody who was working with me who was uh, working as, as my secretary. And she used, to, she used to do the Bella. She had read the Bella magazine, it was back then. And she used to do the Bella crossword. And every now and again, she'd shout over in the office. Hey, if it was one question she was stuck on. Hey, Rich, this is at lunchtime. Uh, you're religious, aren't you? What's the answer to this one, then? And she would come out with this question. And I always used to say to her, you know what? I'm not religious, and I hope I never will be. But I do have a friendship with God. And we used to talk a bit about it, but she always used to think I was religious. But we're not, you know. We're not religious. It's about relationship. So just pause for a sec. Let's just hit the pause button. Just hit the pause button for a sec. Just think for a moment, just on your own. Think for a moment. What do you think? Do you see Christianity as a friendship, or do you see it as a religion? Because actually, this is really important. I'd like to suggest to you, if you think of it more as a religion than than a relationship and a friendship, you might have missed it a little bit. So just pause for a second, just think. And think about how you talk to other people about your faith. You talk more about it being a friendship or a religion. Let's just hit the pause button for a sec. Okay, Steve uh, asked earlier for people to put their hands up if they become Christians before the age of 14. I I didn't look around, but I'm guessing from his reaction that quite a few of us put our hands up. And and that's true for quite a lot of people, that they became Christians quite young. I became Christians actually when I was 20. And for those of us that have become Christians and can remember what what life was like before, when we tell our story, just here's a uh, little tip. What, What does it look like? Well, you can talk about then, what was life like then before you had uh, this friendship with Jesus Christ how and why you know, how did you become a Christian and why it's important to talk about why what was the motivations what was really going on in your heart and then the, what, the bit that often people miss out when we tell people our stories is now well what are the benefits what's the difference that God's made or if you were little when you were saved and you can't remember that far back, you can't remember what life was like uh, before you were a Christian, then here's another little um, sort of structure you can use. You can talk about that you've known him from your earliest days. You can talk about how he's kept you, how he's been faithful to you, how he's stuck by you, how he's walked with you. And you can also talk about the benefits, the things that he's done for you, the difference that he's made in your life. So let's just hit the pause button just one more time, another time. We'll, we'll hit it one more time after this as well. 
and ask yourself this question. If you're talking to somebody, what would you say are the differences that knowing Jesus Christ as a friend have made in your life? What are the differences? What are the benefits? Just have a think for a minute. For me, well, I never thought that God existed. I used to be an atheist. I'm not now. I was wrong. But uh, I used to be uh, an atheist. And I went to college. And uh, between my first and second year, uh, one of my friends at college became a Christian unbeknown to me. And he came back at the start of our second year to announce to everybody that he'd joined the God Squad uh, and that he'd become a Christian. I had never met anybody who had become a Christian uh, and I thought he had lost his marbles actually. I thought he'd gone completely mad. Uh, And he was was okay as a friend in our first year before he was a Christian. But he was a bit sarcastic and he was one of these people that when you're having a conversation with him, at different times you sort of take the mick, but take the mick in a way that was a bit more than just having a bit of banter, had a bit of a, uh, an edge to it. Uh, so he was sort of a friend, but wasn't really. But this aspect of his character disappeared. And I thought he was just being nice and pious because he'd got religion and he'd become a Christian, whatever that meant. And, uh, but this change in him carried on. And bit by bit, he changed more and more. And he became actually my best friend when I was at college but what bugged me what I couldn't understand was it seemed to me like this change was going on from the inside out I couldn't get that I couldn't get how somebody could change from the inside out this was not something he was putting on this really was a genuine change and he introduced me to other Christians and to be honest they annoyed me they annoyed me because they were contented they had a sense of peace about them But the thing that really bugged me was they had a sense of purpose about them as well. They would talk about their life counting for something and some sense of purpose. Now, you know, I was 20 years old at the time. And if someone had said to me, you know, deep down, well, what do you want? Well, I'd say, well, actually, I want a sense of purpose in my life. I don't really know what life is about. And these guys talked like they did. And what's more, like they'd found it. And that was, you know, really quite annoying. And, um, but I did decide, as a result of this, that I might as well explore it, because I had nothing to lose. So I started to read some books that these guys would give me, and I actually went and bought some myself and started to, to read books. And after a few months, I agreed to go to a church meeting with them, having never been to anything like any church like this. And it was, it was a church similar to this. And I walked in, and uh, these guys started to sing... And I felt something in the atmosphere. And it was more than just their singing, and it was more than just their mutual affection for one another. There was like a love in the atmosphere. I later realized it was the presence of God, but I'd never felt that before. And I found it, well, quite scary, really. Just, just I couldn't understand what this was. But it did make me think. I, I remember sitting there and quietly swearing to myself, oh, beep. These guys might be right. (laughs) So I decided that if I was going to really find out about this, then since it was called Christianity, it would seem logical to me, I was a scientist, so it would seem logical to me that this guy, Jesus Christ, that this thing was named after, 
ought to have some of the answers. So I started to explore about him and think about him a little bit. And I came to the conclusion that he was more than a good man, which is what I've been led to believe. That he was actually more than that. Way, way more than that. That he actually offered me a real friendship with God. And he actually offered me a real sense of purpose for my life. And he offered me a way that I could get around and beyond all the stuff that I felt bad and guilty about in my life that I couldn't do anything about. So I asked him into my life. I went for it. And it changed my life completely. I can tell you when it happened. It happened at five past nine in the morning on the 20th of February, 1987. And you can work out, I was nearly 21, so you can work out how old I am, and you'll be amazed thinking, cool, he looks a lot younger than that, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't laugh, it wasn't a joke, it was serious. <laughs> and, uh, but what it did was it really did change my life. And this purpose that these guys had talked about that used to annoy me, wow, what purpose? That you could see God drawing close to people, that you could see him bringing real hope in the darkest situations where people have no answers but God can break in. You can see lives turned around and you can see it over and over and over again. And that this purpose is a purpose that's beyond today. It's a purpose that's beyond this life. It's a purpose that stretches into eternity. That's my story. And sometimes when you're telling your story, you know, or when you feel like you could tell your story, all you need to do is to, I'm a fisherman as well as my hobby, and to use a fishing analogy, you just throw a little bit of bait out. So one of the things I say is, oh, well, yeah, I work as a pastor now, but I used to be an atheist. Then I just shut up and wait. (laughs) Just cast out, blop, waiting for the bite. Bing, oh, yeah, there we go. And they say, what do you mean? How can you be a pastor when you were an atheist? What's happened to you then? Thank you very much. (laughs) And you can just do it naturally and normally. So, think benefits and think your story. Third thing, just very quickly, flavour. And I think this is quite important. This is quite a key for us as we try and tell a story. Because when you tell your story to people, you don't want a long-winded, boring thing. You want something that's short and sweet and stays on track. And each one of us has got a flavour. And the flavour of our stories is a mixture. In there will always be that it's amazing, because it is. Everybody's story about what God's done in your lives is amazing. It's good news, because it is. What he's done for you is great news for you, and you can communicate something of that. But there'll be also another flavour, and this flavour will be something that's a bit more specific to you. I'd like to suggest for someone like Paul, well, he actually says it in 1 Timothy, uh, the flavour that comes across in in his is mercy. God's incredible mercy to this guy who went around killing Christians. That's what his job was before he became a Christian. He was a Christian killer before he became a Christian. An incredible, this incredible mercy. For Leslie, this, this lady that I uh, told you the story, her, her, her flavour is hope. I've got a hope that goes beyond the grave. 
I'm going to see my son again and we're going to be, spend forever together. For me, anyone, got, what, what, what would you say, what, what the flavour is of my story? Any, any suggestions? Purpose, yeah. Flavor, the extra flavour in my story is purpose. Your story has a flavour and it's an exciting and an interesting flavour because it's amazing what God has done for you. So just pause for a second. Let's just hit the pause button one more time. What's your flavour? Just have a little think. What's that specific flavour? Because that specific flavour will help you to tell your story and to tell it in a short and sweet way in less than two minutes so people will listen and want to know more after they've listened. What's your flavour? Just to finish off then, when you tell your story, let me just give you one or two little tips. There are some big no-no's. Some things not to do. The first thing not to do is to be long-winded, right? This is not a cure for someone's insomnia. This is something that's meant to be exciting because God's involved with it and it's going to be exciting, right? So please keep it nice, short and sweet. Uh, Don't be fuzzy either about it. You know, if you think about, well, what's my flavour, then it gives you a sense of direction to the story. It gives you a sort of something you can hang it on. Jargon. You have got to keep it jargon-free, I mean Christian jargon. We are full of it. So come on, give us some examples of jargon. If you're talking to somebody who hasn't got a friendship with God yet, what what sort of jargon do you need to avoid that we would use around here? Sanctified, Sanctified, yeah, that's one, whatever that is. Yeah, what what else? Atonement, yeah. Sorry? Saved, Saved, yeah, that's one. What else? Missional community. Missional community. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What are they? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't resist it. <laughs> what else? Born again, Born again yeah. Washing the, the blood, yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> what about sin? People don't understand what sin is, you know. Most people think that's eating chocolates. Yeah? So, all these sort of things that we use, you know, don't use them. It's bad news. And what you're also not doing is preaching at somebody. You're just telling your story, communicating something. I have found this. I have found this. Leave it with you. Have a think about this. So let's just finish off then, shall we? Here's, here's a quick summary then. Be free. When you're telling your story, please be free. Don't feel bashed into doing anything. Just be friendly. Be yourself. There's no pressure. Just tell a bit of it or all of it. Just see how the conversation goes. Just be normal. Talk friendship. Your friendship with Jesus. Then how, why, and the benefits now. Yeah, how did it happen, and what are the benefits now? And think flavour. What's your flavour? Each one of us has got a flavour. Keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it jargon-free. And that's all we've got to do. As we do this, we start to touch people, people's lives, with something of the life that we've found. Not just our own lives, but a life that flows from heaven. A life that lasts forever. A life that's indestructible. That's what you're starting to touch people's lives with. And it's incredibly powerful. Why don't we just pray? Father, we want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that what you've done for us is amazing. Lord, each one of us here sits with a story. A story of your amazing love. A story of how you've done it for us, 
how you've drawn close to us, how you've broken in, in quite incredible ways, and won us, and brought us home to you. And that we've discovered a love that lasts forever, and started a life that lasts forever. And we are so grateful, Lord. And we we simply want to pray, Lord, that you'd help us just in everyday lives, our everyday, day-to-day stuff, Lord, to let something of that life and that love that we've found in you and that is so real and such a normal and natural part of our lives flow out. Lord, would you help us to let it flow out to other people? I want to pray, Lord, this week that we'd have the chance just to tell somebody a little bit of that life and that love that we've found for ourselves. Lord, would you open the doors for us so that we can touch other people with the life and the love that you have filled us with, Lord. Thank you. Amen.